Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about mechanisms. We're talking about the king of the hill mechanism. No, we're not talking about propane and propane accessories, although that would make a pretty good episode. We're talking about the mechanism of being the one guy, the one player on top of the mountain, on top of the hill, getting a bunch of points. And we're talking to Petter, Petter Olsen. I'm, I'm going to butcher your Norwegian uh, name, and you can tell people how it's really pronounced in just a second. But Petter, really glad you're on the show. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I get so excited about interviewing people from across the world. You know, you're from Norway. I've interviewed people from a, a number of different countries at this point. But it really puts a strain on my Alabama accent, which is kind of fun. <laughs> it's always a challenge. How do you say your name? It's uh, Petter Skonkjolsen. Yeah, I hope listeners, you got that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you're the you're the guy from Topic Games. You you have a really cool website. Of, is it TopicGames.com, right? Yeah, .no. Oh, Dino, uh, you put out some yeah. of the best content weekly. You're, you know, you're a, a website I love going to every week to find really cool Kickstarter uh, content and information from from all sorts of different uh, people that are doing Kickstarters and, and having success over there and, and trying to glean information from them and, and learn from them. It's something I put out in almost every week. I put in the weekly newsletter because you put out some really great, great content. But, Petter, uh, in case people never heard of you, never heard of Topic Games, who are you? How'd you get into games? All that good stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, uh, my name is Peter, as uh, as you said, uh, and I live in in Norway. And I'm a movie producer by day, uh, and I'm a board game designer by night. Uh, I launched my first game on Kickstarter in 2016, and that was a game uh, that was a light war game called uh, Kill the King. Uh, and uh, now I'm about to start uh, to kickstart my second game. Uh, which is called uh, Donning the Purple, uh, and as you mentioned, I also run a, a blog where I uh, interview other board game creators about their different tactics uh, they use when they put their games up on uh, on uh, Kickstarter. And I've played board games all my life, but I've uh, kind of rediscovered it again when I played uh, games like uh, Dominion and Agricola for three to four years ago. Uh, and now I tend to play medium to heavy strategic games. And uh, the longer, the better. <laughs> gotcha. Now, tell me a little bit yeah. more about Topic Games, because again, this is a website I go to all the time. How did you get into that? Into the you know interviewing people and content creation on that side? Yeah, uh, I uh, when I was doing research for my first game, when I was going to put it up on on Kickstarter, I I think it was one of uh, uh, Jamie Stegmar's uh, advice to to just ask uh, different creators uh, about if there was one thing they uh, they uh, wished they knew before they launched and i and i asked uh, several creators and and uh, i was amazed how how they uh, wanted to share uh, their knowledge uh, with me and then i also remembered uh, Jamie's advice that uh, you have to uh, be resourceful to, for other uh, persons online. So I thought, why should I be the only one that uh, uh, got that advice from the creator? So I just uh, started the blog and I started to interview um, people. And uh, I've done that for a year now. And I think I have uh, had almost 30,000 visitors uh, during the last year. So I'm 
it's it's uh, definitely a market or, or people that want to read uh, that stuff so and yeah and it's uh, it's amazing to to talk to the creators and uh, all the different things they've learned from the uh, the smallest creator to the biggest one like uh, the, the CEO of Simon uh, to to me I'm I'm a small guy and uh, it's it's uh, very interesting to to learn all their challenges and uh, and tips and tricks to to do this stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. And one thing I've been really impressed by is your consistency. It's every week. Like I don't I don't know that you've missed a week over that entire year. A lot of the blogs I follow, it's kind of sporadic, and you know every few weeks they'll have something once a month kind of thing. But you're you're every single week. How do you how do you stay so consistent with that? Yeah, I, that was uh, one of my goals when I started this. Uh, I, I wanted to post every week, uh, and uh, I uh, made sure that I had a had a backlog of uh, of uh, people that I have I have uh, interviewed or every time. So I have I never uh, run uh, out of interviews to to put out on the blog. So I. I uh, I bother a lot of people uh, on, on Kickstarter and asking them uh, for questions and uh, and sometimes they forget or ignore me but I keep pestering them and to uh, to send me the answers and uh, yeah it, it's it's a lot of work actually it was uh, far more work than I thought it would be but it's uh, I I like doing it and and keeping a schedule of when I'm going to post and uh, I think I got uh, I I took uh, w- one week off and that was uh, Christmas uh, last week so uh, I think I deserved that but uh, I'm uh, not going to take uh, uh, another week off until perhaps next Christmas Eve we'll yeah, see yeah for sure and and yeah. you, you know that's something I found just keep knocking on doors and the more doors you knock on the more doors get opened and just keep asking and trying to find out uh, different things because this is a, a really open community. People want to talk about stuff. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't know if they'd ever talk to me, they, they probably will. Uh, it doesn't matter you know, necessarily who you You don't have to be some big, important big shot uh, for people to want to talk to you. Uh, all right, so let's get into the, the, the real meat of the episode. Let's talk about King of the Hill. And First of all, are you familiar with the TV show King of the Hill? Have you ever seen it? Yeah, it it, it was aired uh, in Norway sometime, but I've never actually seen it. Uh, but uh, before I was going to uh, talk to you today, I I asked uh, online if uh, anybody liked uh, any King of the Hill board games with that mechanics, and I uh, and and in the comment section I was uh, it was I was spammed with uh, spammed with the King of the Hill uh, gifs right. or gifs from uh, from the television series. So yeah, it's uh, definitely a, a popular show. Yeah, no doubt. A King of the Hill board game with the King of the Hill mechanism in it, I think, would be a lot of fun. I don't know how yeah. you'd get the rights to that, but I think it'd be a lot of fun. But anyway, let's talk about the King of the Hill mechanism. Just give me a good definition. Definition, like what is that exactly? Just in case people have never really thought about it in the in those on those terms. Yeah, I I, I learned also that there are many uh, different definitions of King of the Hill, but according to me, it's it's uh, a thing or an area in the game, um, and if one player controls that thing or area, he, uh, that player can get closer to winning the game faster than the rest of the players. And uh, when that player controls that the thing uh, or area, the other players often gang up on that player to to dethrone him and uh, and become the new king of the hill, uh, so to speak. And uh, th- that creates an interesting dynamic because everybody is uh, also uh, working together to do, to take that guy. But uh, once they come to the top, they have to decide who who is the new leader. And uh, yeah, it's always uh, something happening with that uh, mechanic. So it's it's cool. 
Yeah, for sure. I think video games maybe made it really popular. You know, I remember playing Halo back in the day. So many games of Halo and playing King of the Hill and just being the, the one team or one player that's in that zone, you know, and trying to be there for the longest amount of time. And that's translated over into board games. I think King of Tokyo is probably the most popular King of the Hill style game. You're either in Tokyo or you're not. And like you're saying, yep. you can still gain points other ways, but being the king, that's going to gain you the most points. That'll get you the, to victory the fastest. And so why, why use this type of mechanic? Like what themes does this lend itself to? Why, why choose this mechanism as opposed to another? Yeah, I, I th- uh, it kind of gave itself when I was um, designing Donning Purple, which is my upcoming game. And that is a game about uh, the Roman Empire. And in that game, uh, one of the um, uh, players can be uh, emperor of, uh, of, the, um, of Rome. And he can get a lot of points uh, each, uh, each round. Uh, if he manages to to keep the Roman people ha- happy, of course, but but uh, but uh, it's it's the only way to get a lot of points in uh, in in uh, in each round. So the other players want to to assassinate him and become the new emperor emperor, and they have to watch out the the uh, succession line when the when the emperor dies and stuff. So I think that uh, that theme uh, fitted well with the, with the, uh, the mechanic. Yeah, definitely. Are there any other themes you could think of that would go really well with this type of mechanism? I mean, we talked about King of Tokyo, you know, being the big shot, the big monster that's better than the rest. Any other themes that you've kind of pondered around in your brain as far as this mechanism? Uh, not any other themes in games, but I, I was, uh, uh, when I was thinking about this yesterday, I was remembering on uh, back in elementary school, we had, uh, had a game when every time uh, in the winter, you know, it's uh, it's a lot of snow in Norway in the winter, so... <laughs> And so uh, every time we had the recess at school, uh, all the kids were were uh, climbing up the the big snow heaps that uh, the the janitors had made of all the snow. And uh, uh, every time the, the biggest kids was uh, standing on top of the the heap and just uh, throwing down uh, us smaller kids. So uh, so that is uh, and in in Norway that is called the King of the Hill game. And it, and I guess that's probably probably the same in. Uh, Ever uh, other places in the world, but yeah, the, the King of the Hill mechanic is is not uh, only in games; it's uh, everywhere else in life, I think, as well. Yeah, definitely. I could see like a corporate, you know, game about you know climbing the corporate ladder or something like that, where you're trying to get to the top. You're trying to be the CEO of the company, and you've got these other people trying to, you know, cut cut your legs out from underneath you, so to speak, and take your job. I think there's a lot of different uh, themes that could really go well with this mechanism. And, but the biggest thing is that there's got to be somebody on top. Like It's almost you need like a, a pyramid structure, so to speak, where somebody's at the top and other people are trying to work their way up to get there. And so let's, let's talk a little bit more about donning the purple and kind of how you are approaching this mechanism. I've seen the game. It looks amazing. And that's something I want to talk to you about later in the bonus room. I'm going to talk about how to make a, a beautiful prototype because your game looks awesome even before it's published, which is, is incredible, but Thank you. yeah, and uh, but in your game, like, how does the mechanism really work? Let's talk a little more nuts and bolts, and, and kind of just give me the more like behind the scenes of it working in your game. Yeah, uh, so uh, so Dominic Purple is an uh, asymmetrical uh, King on the Hill game, uh, as you might <laughs> figure out, uh, uh, with a bit of worker placement in it, uh, and um, uh, each each player le- player leads a powerful family in ancient Rome, trying to get the most victory points during uh, four rounds. Uh, and if your family member becomes the emperor and manages to to hold the position, uh, he can earn a lo- earn a lot of points each round. Uh, but, uh, however, he will also become the target of the other players as they will try to, to dethrone him and, and become the new emperor themselves. So um, that, that's, the, that's the meat of the game. 
actually. And um, I, I was inspired by this when I listened to, to a podcast about uh, the history of Rome. Uh, and it, it was uh, it was quite a, a bloody uh, bloody place to be because in 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 one year there could be uh, be uh, perhaps five emperors and everybody was killing each other and uh, naming themselves proclaiming themselves as a new emperor and yeah it it was it was the definition of uh, King of the Hill game I think that era. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. This is a theme that really just lends itself to that mechanism. Now, did you try any other mechanism, or was this the first one? You're like, yeah, this is this is what works perfectly. Yeah, I, I, actually, I haven't. Uh, I didn't think that uh, King of the Hill was a game mechanic until it it came to me when I was designing the game. And I was uh, um, later, I was discovering that that mechanic was the King of the Hill. It just uh, fell into place naturally. So I, I also have other mechanics in the game, like the worker placement, but. Uh, but the the king of the hill stuff is is quite important for for the game, yeah. Yeah, and I guess really, if you want to get a little more specific, it's really an area control game where there's one main area, right? And maybe maybe you've got yeah. some other ways to gain points in your game. Are there are there other ways to gain victory points? Yeah, you can get a lot of points all over the place, but that's just the one point here and one point there, and that is. Um, at, at the end of the game, uh, at the most. But uh, uh, if you are the emperor, you can uh, you can get a lot of points each round. So you have the the, the ability to just run away with uh, with a high score early in the game. But it's it's really hard because it's it's hard to be an emperor because everybody hates you and it's all problems all all over the empire. So um, it, it's it's a tough job. And I think that's one of the key key elements of uh, of the King of the Hill mechanic because. Uh, it, it's not meant to be that the, the king shall uh, shall reign on top of the hill uh, for a long time. It's meant for him to fail, uh, either by himself or by the other players that uh, are climbing up and, and destroying him. And um, and in my game, there is also uh, the external uh, forces like the enemies or natural disasters and, and, the, and the people of Rome that wants to kill uh, the emperor as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a tough uh, tough job. Yeah, definitely. And I think you make a great point. It needs to be a super valuable place. Like everyone really wants to be in there. So this is kind of constant change and, and changeover of who's in there and who's gaining points. Because you don't want it to be like, oh, just kind of an afterthought. Like, oh, I guess I could go there, but I get some other points over here and it's not a big deal. Like, no, you want this to be a big deal. I, you know, playing King of Tokyo, I played that game a hundred times. And it's what's great about that game is that anytime you do damage to the guy that's in Tokyo, he can come out if he wants to, which automatically puts you in there. So whether you really wanted to be in there or not, all of a sudden you are just because you did damage to whatever monster was in there. And so there's this constant changeover and, and creates a lot of options, a lot of choices for a very simple game. Just in this one you know, quick mechanism of who's in there and who's not. And you know, you can gain points not being in there, but you're going to gain a lot more by, by being the target, so to speak. And so what did, what did you find as far as like making that that place in the middle as the emperor, how did you make it super valuable? I mean, is it just worth a lot of points or are you able to do other things? Like what did you do to kind of make it enticing for players to really want that spot? Maybe other than just points. Yeah, it, it's, it's points. And, and you have to, uh, if you are the emperor, you uh, uh, each round, you have to, you're, you're doing more stuff uh, than the other players. You're drawing the events cards and, and, uh, and controlling the, the Roman legions and stuff. Uh, and, j and just to say, it, it's not boring to be uh, the non-emperor. Uh, you have a lot of things to do, and uh, you are. But you, uh, but as, if you are the emperor, you have you are doing more each year. Uh, but you probably won't do it uh, for very lo very long. <laughs> but uh, but another interesting thing about uh, 
uh, in Donning the Purple is that it's not necessarily the guy that kills the emperor that becomes a new emperor because there is a line of succession. First, it's the it's a natural heir of the emperor, but if the emperor didn't uh, manage to, to make an heir, the, it is the player that is the leader of the of the senate that becomes a new emperor. So uh, you have to the time when you uh, when you assassinate the emperor because you might not become the new emperor and and. If you do become the new emperor, it might be a, a very bad moment to do it because uh, all the enemies are at the gates and uh, and there are famines uh, all over the empire, so the the people are angry and going to kill you anyway. So yeah, it's a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I think that's a really good way to do it. For you, you have to plan. You can't. It's not like King of Tokyo, where it's just super simple. Oh, I hit you. Now I'm in. Now I'm the king of the hill. Like no, there's this secession plan. Now was that. Did you have that from the beginning, or from the beginning did you have it where whoever assassinates is automatically emperor? Like, how did that kind of play itself out through the game design? Yeah, that that was as I listened to that uh, the podcast series, as I mentioned, I, I just know uh, wrote notes uh, over each episode and uh, what would be a cool mechanic or thing to put in the game, and and the the thing with the heir uh, to the throne was really important back in the days in, in history as well, and uh, and. Uh, and in my game, you can, if you are the emperor, you can uh, have the, the heir within your family. So when the, the emperor dies, the emperorship can remain in in, uh, in your family. But if uh, only if you have managed to produce an heir, and that is really expensive uh, to do in in my game. So and you, as an emperor, you need to to distribute your your money wisely. So you have to choose: do you want to produce an heir and pay a lot of money to to arrange that? Or do you want to feed the people? <laughs> so uh, you have to you have to make some some uh, tough choices uh, uh, doing that. So and and uh, it was a really big issue around uh, for every emperor back in the history uh, that they had had to produce an uh, an, uh, an heir. For if they didn't, the 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 empire would be in turmoil turmoil uh, and uh, uh, civil war of people fighting to be the next uh, emperor. Yeah, very cool, man. All right, so let's talk about how, or you've mentioned a couple of times how, uh, you know, the people might experience famine, there might be war. And so are you saying like there's a system or there are a couple of systems in place where the game, not, in, you know, with the players, they, the players can maybe manipulate things, but the game itself will remove emperors if they hit their certain thresholds or certain warriors. Like, how does that work? Yeah, at, at, the, at the beginning of the game, uh, of each round, the emperor has to collect uh, grain, for example, from all the farms around the, the empire. And if he doesn't have enough grain to feed the people at the, at the end of the, the year, uh, they get, get angry and can kill him. Um, and of course, they can come uh, uh, enemies and uh, destroy uh, him and kill him. And in each year, he draws five events. That's five bad things happening to the empire. It's uh, all the uh, bad stuff. <laughs> so, uh, and and perhaps the most important thing is that the the worker placement mechanic in in the game is actually a, a stamina placement. Uh, so each time you do an action, you get one less life, and when you are out of stamina, you you die, uh, and then you have to make sure that the air. Uh, is within your family, so your you, when you reset your stamina for, to become the new um, family member, um, you have to make sure that this uh, guy uh, is the heir of the empire, so he can become the emperor again. Gotcha. Now, how can other players affect these systems? Like, for instance, if if you're the emperor, am I able to play cards or do certain things that would remove grain that would make the people more angry with you? Like, how does that work? 
yeah, yeah. They can remove grain from the the, uh, the granary and steal money from the uh, from the emperor. And uh, and there is uh, uh, there is never enough grain to collect from your empire. So you have to so you have to import from uh, other regions. And the other players can uh, influence that import price and make it uh, more expensive for uh, for each grain that you have to import. So there there is a lot of ways that you can. Uh, uh, affect the emperor and in many ways in just uh, sabotaging him and uh, and outright assassinate him and remove stamina from him gotcha and, and so you can you could kill him outright and then or you can just kind of behind the scenes do different things that's really cool man have you thought about making a like a united states government game based on this because it sounds like kind of similar yeah, I, I haven't actually, but uh, but I think the American uh, pol- uh, politics is quite complicated, so <laughs> I don't think I, I'm the right person to to do that. But I, but I would definitely play it, play it. So yeah, yeah, maybe not with the assassination part, but with all the undermining yeah. and you know the different political parties yeah. doing things to set each other up for failure. I think that could be a really yeah. interesting game. Yeah, definitely. But 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 as as an opponent, you have to uh, make sure that you don't undermine the president, uh, the emperor, too much. And mess up the empire. That uh, when you take over, it it is still the same empire you have to take over. So and and it's, it's, it's the same high import price and the same low amount of grain that you have. To, so you are inheriting the the same problems as the previous emperor. So you have to balance how much you are uh, undermining him. Yeah, that's a great point. I think if you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh man, I could probably make a King of the Hill style game. I think this is a really cool thing to think about is is making that that hill, you know, and that you become the king of, making it change. A king of Tokyo, you're either in Tokyo or you're not. There's nothing different about Tokyo. But with this game, Donning the Purple, uh, you're inheriting what you're creating, and so if you undermine it too much, you're going to screw yourself over down the road. And so you have to—it's that kind of fine balance of okay, doing just enough to get the emperor out of power, but you still want the empire to be in a good place when you receive it. And I think that's a really cool thing. Now let's let's talk about playtesting. How did you playtest this game to really get it balanced? You know, so the the, the hill was was just right. Like, what did what was your playtesting process? First, I play tested the the first tier was me playing play testing it by myself just to make sure that everything was balanced enough and that there was nothing that was completely not working. And then I I was play testing it with other people with me playing it, and then I was play testing it with just me watching and not saying anything. And then I blind play test it and. Not a couple of times, but many times. And I even used your um, some of the guys that were on your show, uh, uh, Mike from the Coalition Games, mm-hmm. uh, and they gave really good feedback. There was a lot of problems <laughs> that they uh, addressed, and that, and that was really uh, helpful. And um, yeah, so it's uh, it's it, it has it is a re- uh, really big balancing thing you have to uh, think about when you're making a uh, game kind of, uh, like this. So. Uh, it's important that you playtest it, uh, it a lot, and uh, you, you learn a lot of, uh, of how, you, uh, how not to do it. So, yeah, playtesting it is, is very important. Definitely. Now, in your playtesting process, what was your, your process, your system for making the game, not just the game balance, but like the hill balance to where it's not worth too many victory points, where somebody gets in there for a couple of turns, they win the game, but also making it worth enough where people want to be there? Like, how did you find that place in the middle of, of you know, as far as the hill is concerned? Then I, I'm. I don't think I have a good answer to that. I just it, it just uh, you have to uh, test it a lot and and just ask what the the other uh, 
players were thinking when they were were the emperor or the opponents. And but but the biggest challenge actually was to have uh, uh, not too much downtime uh, for the pe- people that uh, that's not the the emperor. And um, I think I've balanced that. Uh, Kind of good in a good way because uh, they can they can follow or copy the each other's uh, actions or some of the actions. So for example, if uh, player A is uh, moving his pawn, uh, player B can copy that action and move his pawn. But then again, he he only he will move uh, use a stamina for that, so he will die faster again. So uh, because uh, on each turn you you only have two actions, uh, and you, if you are the the emperor, you have one extra action. So in your in your turns, you you don't do as much as you might think. So it's you have very limited actions actually. So you have to use the copying uh, uh, action uh, uh, a lot. So you have to so you can do all the things you want to do. And it's it's really depressing and and exciting to see your stamina level goes go go down. As you do more actions, because when you uh, are out of stamina, you die. And uh, if if you become an emperor and just have one stamina left, you will die in your turn <laughs> because you're yeah. And and of course you're you're an easy target for the other guys as well. Yeah. Now, were there any things in the game originally that you had to cut just because they didn't you know they weren't focused on the theme or they didn't fit well with the the King of the Hill mechanism or anything like that? Uh, it was quite difficult to uh, because it's a, it's a kind of a historic game. Uh, there is a lot of uh, information about the Roman uh, Empire, so there was a lot of things I wanted to to add, but it uh, was too complicated, and I, I just couldn't be that historically correct and have uh, that province to be that good or bad because that would uh, uh, damage the balance of the game. Yeah, so that was the, one of the big issues, I think. And uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of things uh, I, I had to had to remove from the game and just focus on the, on the worker placement and and the King of the Hill thing. I think that's uh, I had to kill uh, a lot of my dollar, darlings. As uh, <laughs> that, that's also also a, a phrase we use in the movie business here. So uh, it 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 was good uh, that I was used to kill darlings because I had to kill a lot of them for for this game. Yeah, definitely. Now making movies is all about drama. It's all about tension and resolution. That's what a story is. How how is your movie making day job kind of helped you with your nighttime board game job? Yeah, I, my my main focus in the film uh, in my film job is to be a producer. So I. I, I'm very used to be a project uh, project manager and just doing my spreadsheets and Excel and uh, budgeting and, and stuff and 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 coordinating things. So that was very handy when uh, when uh, I was designing my first game and doing it through Kickstarter and uh, the shipping process and all of that. So I'm, I'm used to having a lot of uh, uh, balls in the air and just having a lot of things to do and coordinate them. So that was was really handy and and I also. I'm taking no chances in in the budget, so I'm uh, always always having a buffer and uh, don't want to mess things up shipping wise. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's good to have uh, controlled a lot of people before I'm, I've done this. <laughs> yeah, because I have to I have to uh, talk with a lot of people uh, all over the world to, to coordinate things with, with the game. Although I'm just myself in Tom Pet Games and and a partner that does uh, some of the graphic design and uh, testing, but uh, it's mainly me that does everything. So I have to communicate with a lot of people and uh, yeah yeah i actually just had a, a random idea for a, th- a theme that would go interesting with the king of the hill me- mechanism so like i don't know how it is in norway but the the awards ceremonies that go on in the states that for movies are, yeah. are very king of the hill like where you have a lot of 
kind of things going on behind the scenes and, and the, the voting, the people that vote maybe getting a little bribe here and there and you're trying to undercut other people when trying to you know, put your movie on the top. That could be a very interesting uh, theme to go along with. If, if you have made any or tried to make any uh, movie-themed them- games or anything like that? Uh, no, I haven't actually. I, I get enough enough of uh, of the movie industry <laughs> by, by day, and I also watch a lot of movies, so I, I don't want to to mix those two things in the board games. Yeah, although I, I played the the, the game uh, the Networks from Jill yeah. or Gil Ova, that was uh, yep. yeah. I, I lost uh, badly, but uh, hopefully I'm a better producer in real life than you know, in that game. But uh, it was fun to try that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that game has a lot of, kind of what we were just talking about a moment ago, of you have to figure out what to abstract. You know, in, in TV or movies, there's a lot going on. You have to abstract that down to actually make something fun. Roman Empire, let's, let's go back to the kind of Roman Empire stuff, just in case somebody's thinking about history or, or working on historically based games. What were some of the things that you really loved about the history of Rome, the empire, that, that time period, that would have been really cool in a game, but you had to kill because they didn't fit right with, you know, the fun, or they just made it too complex. What were some of those things? Oh, it, it was a lot of things. All the organizing of the of the military and all all the provinces uh, because they they were very big at their uh, at their peak, and also the all the politics and and uh, everybody that uh, proclaimed themselves as a new emperor every day. And uh, it was a yeah, it was a lot of things that I wanted to add. Perhaps it could be an expansion someday, but. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's so much. Uh, the the Roman Empire was lasting for so so many years, and uh, and uh, every we, we uh, the things we do today are so many things we are doing today is because of what they did back then, and they did a lot of horrible stuff as well. But uh, it was it's really interesting everything they uh, they did, and uh, yeah, I had to. It was it was uh, fun, but also very hard to to cut stuff from uh, from the game when I was. Uh, choosing what uh, what kind of thing I was putting inside. Yeah, definitely. But again, it goes back to what we've said over and over and over again on this show in so many episodes. Playtesting, you got to do it until until it's the, the, the leanest, like slimmest, most streamlined thing you have because that's what that's where the fun is. And you just have to abstract different things. Now, how many? How long did your playtesting process last? Like how many, give me just a ballpark number, how many playtests do you think you did? Uh, I haven't counted actually. It was probably around 50 or 60 i think uh, yeah probably around that because i've been playtesting it from for over a year now so it's every process has been playtested uh, several times and it has changed a lot from each each time and each time i uh, added a new or removed a new um, new mechanic or th- thing from the game i had to go through it all over again so um, yeah it, it's been through a lot of processes and 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 now it's uh, I'm also developing a solo mode for it. it uh, I'm waiting for the feedback uh, uh, now. It, it, well, it depends when this episode airs, of course. But uh, yeah, the, the the solo mode also also is very uh, entertaining to um, to develop. So it's actually my my first solo game. Uh, so, um, but uh, I, uh, the theme fitted well uh, with a solo game. So that was uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that. How do you? How do you create this mechanism, King of the Hill, which rely, like you have to have more than one person? How do you make that into a solo experience? Yeah, I, I uh, in the solo uh, mode, I I made the the, the Senate more aggressive. Uh, you have to have uh, have more points than them at the end of the game, and uh, they accumulate more points every every year. So you have to decide if you want to 
uh, assassinate or bribe new senators to contain them or uh, just gain a lot of points in uh, in other parts of the um, of the of the game so and you also die if uh, or or you lose the game if you uh, if you die and not have an heir uh, to succeed you or if all the other uh, or if all regional capitals in in the in the empire are overrun by enemies so there are a lot of ways to to die <laughs> in solo mode as well so uh, it uh, i think it uh, you you kind of feel like you are uh, uh, on uh, on the top of the hill in, in the solo mode as well and if you uh, fall down you, you you lose so it's almost the, uh, the same feeling as uh, in the multiplayer uh, i think Gotcha, but you, you still have that same tension of being the emperor and having to put out all these fires, so to speak, constantly. Yeah. But yeah. but you added like all these lose conditions that don't appear in the normal game. Yeah. Gotcha. Very cool, man. And so, tell me a little more about that process. As you've kind of you know you're still getting feedback now. What what was your process of creating that? Did you look at other games like Scythe and and some you know Jamie Stegmaier's games that have that automa system, or like what did you do to like really figure this thing out? No, I, I just uh, I haven't played that many solo games uh, actually. So so I, I reached out to the guys uh, and girls uh, over at the, the solo board game groups on uh, on Facebook and uh, asked them what they uh, definitely didn't like uh, in solo modes. Uh, and I tried not to add that. And uh, I just wanted to make a solo mode that I wanted to play myself. So and I played a lot of. Uh, uh, Rome, Total War, and uh, and uh, history games like that, and I wanted to create that feeling and also have the the stress that everybody wants wanted to kill you, uh, even if you only play by yourself. So yeah, there are a lot of problems that you have to address, even though if it's only yourself. But you also get assassination attempts against you on um, when you play solo. So yeah. Very cool, man. All right, so what would you tell somebody, what advice would you give someone who's working on a game right now that's got that King of the Hill mechanism or, or they're thinking about it now, like, oh, I could make a game like this. What advice would you give them so that they don't have to make the same mistakes you did? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's diff- difficult to give them a, a general advice, but just just try to concentrate on that mechanic or mechanism uh, mainly and then build on top of that and uh, and figure out if that extra thing adds anything to the game or if not just remove it uh, and make sure that uh, as we said earlier that everybody has to uh, have an opportunity to, to reach out to the king and kill him themselves and it's not meant for the king to to reign uh, for a long time he has to die quickly uh, but uh, in that process you have to gain some some points of course and they have to uh, have that feeling that because because that that feeling that if if you're standing on top and looking down at all the all your uh, your plebs or uh, or other people uh, and they are looking back at you and want to to kill you that uh, and there are uh, fires all over the empire that you have to to address that that feeling is quite good in a bad way or, or, or yeah or other way around so <laughs> I want to that that feeling is something you should try to to give the player that plays plays your game. Definitely. Now, I just love how thematic the mechanism fits with, with Rome and the Empire and Emperors and all that good stuff. It's really cool, man. Awesome. Again, Petter, really appreciate you coming on the show, man. We're about to head over into a bonus round. Uh, Petter's going to give his advice for making great-looking prototypes. Again, I mentioned earlier, I've seen pictures of donning the purple. It looks amazing. It looks, in a lot of ways, better than some uh, than published games that I've been seeing. And so really excited to kind of hear your advice on how to make a good-looking prototype 
and, and what all goes into that. And real quick, you know, we mentioned Donning of the Purple. That's going to be on Kickstarter. Just give me the, the two-minute Kickstarter pitch for that. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, it is the year uh, 193 uh, AD, and uh, the Roman Empire is not as great as it once was. Uh, hordes of enemies are crossing the borders, famine spreads throughout uh, the provinces, and uh, the political intrigues are tearing the empire apart from within. Uh, the previous emperor was killed by his own Praetorian bodyguard and has left a power vacuum that uh, the powerful families in, in Rome are trying to fill. Uh, so the question is, are you ready to don the purple yourself and uh, take on the stressful job as an emperor? Uh, if you fail, the other families are ready to, to take over at the moment's notice. Uh, and while they wait for your doom, they won't hesitate to, to backstab or undermine you as much as they can. However, you all have to work together as the fall of the Roman Empire is closing in. Awesome. Sounds great, yeah. man. Uh, I'm excited about it. Good luck with the project. Good luck with everything you got going on right now. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?